0: This is Cruise Radio.
1: This podcast is brought to you by TripInsurance.com, travel insurance done right by the people who know travel insurance. Get your next quote at TripInsurance.com.
0: Broadcasting
1: from the TripInsurance.com
2: studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is This is Cruise Radio. Radio.
1: Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thanks for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Very happy to have you here, my friend. Coming up on this week's show, we'll talk to Jake Williams. Uh, he did a YouTube series, uh, or actually, he has a YouTube series called Canceled. And uh, he featured one of Carnival's uh, projects that they scrapped called the Pinnacle Class, which was essentially supposed to be one of the first Oasis class ships. Uh, Carnival scrapped it, Royal Caribbean. Wound up launching a huge ship. So Jake Williams is stopping by in just a couple of minutes. Going to roll a little generic this week because, uh, well, as of right now, there's no internet here. And also um, the past 48 hours been cleaning up uh, a family house here in Jacksonville. So um, mind is shot. No internet. Uh, yeah, probably going to Dunkin' Donuts to upload this show. So with that said, we're going to go right to Jake. Hey, Jake, what's up, buddy? Thanks for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, Jake, I got to tell you, just from the research I've been doing since I watched your documentary, this ship was freaking mind-blowing, man. A mountain, a monorail, a lazy river. Give us some background about this Carnival Pinnacle-class project. Uh, Well, the Carnival
0: Pinnacle project, that started way back in, I believe it was 2004 when Carnival sent out a memo to, uh, to their top executives to say, hey, let's create this this mega ship unlike any other. And what most don't know is this was kind of a war between Carnival Cruise Lines and Royal Caribbean. Royal Caribbean was working on Oasis and Carnival was working on Pinnacle. Pinnacle obviously never came to fruition, uh, but Oasis did. And, and part, uh, Pinnacle was just this incredibly massive ship uh, almost on the same scale as, uh, as Oasis of the Seas.
1: You say incredibly massive. How massive?
0: So it would have been at least 5,000 passenger capacity. Um, it wouldn't have been the split structure like Oasis is today. Uh, towards the rear of the ship, it would have been that. Uh, it, it it would have had incredible features. It had this mountain uh, pool on the very top. Uh, one of the most striking features was the people mover system mm-hmm. that wrapped around the entire ship. It was essentially the suspended monorail system that would both go up and down and uh, uh, forward and back throughout the entire ship. It was just this incredible feat of engineering.
1: So it would have had a Disney-like monorail going around the ship? Yeah, exactly. Interesting. You've been researching the cruise industry for years. What made you want to say, hey, I want to cover the Carnival Pinnacle class? Well, I'm a
0: pretty young guy, but when I was a lot smaller, probably in around 2007 or 2008, I remember seeing this, this video on YouTube. It was called... Uh, the Carnival Dream Project. And at that point, the Carnival Dream was never a thing. So the Carnival Dream was, I guess, what someone named the Carnival Pinnacle. And it was the very first concept video on the Pinnacle. And it was... Uh, I, I was just completely enthralled by this this uh, concept video. I, I didn't think it was real at first. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until this year uh very early this year that I I decided to say, hey, remember that pinnacle thing that I remember seeing on YouTube when I was a kid? <laughs> Let's go back and uh and see what the actual story was behind that. And I started to to uh to do some research and there really wasn't much on it. And I came across this interview uh that Cruise Currents did with Joe Farkas. Mm-hmm. And just randomly I, I had the video on in the background and randomly he started talking about the pinnacle. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> wait a minute. So I tracked down Joe Farkas. I got an interview with him. And uh, I guess the rest is history.
1: When you were doing the research, what was the biggest surprise you came across?
0: I didn't think it was in the 2000s. I thought this would have been late 90s, maybe early 90s. I thought this was a very old project. And I didn't realize how recent The Pinnacle actually was. And um, I didn't understand how actually close it was to becoming a reality. So... As soon as I started learning that it was in 2004 and 2005, it, it, it you know, it kind of uh, came to me that it was in direct competition with uh, Royal Caribbean, with the Oasis. And it's like, wow, this this cruise ship war was going on in the background, and none of us had any yeah. idea that this was happening.
1: When you interviewed Carnival's architect, Joe Farkas, what were some takeaways that you got from that?
0: It was just a really cool interview to have uh, with Farkas. He's a really interesting person. And I think, uh, I mean, he's, he's made a, a lot of contributions to the cruise industry and especially carnival. I mean, he created the, um, the carnival funnel as we know it today. It's, uh, he was definitely a very interesting person. And, uh, the way he talked about his craft in, in cruise ship design and art and architecture, uh, it's just very inspiring to talk to the guy really.
1: Why didn't this project ever see the light of day? Why did they scrap it?
0: It was very futuristic for the time, mm-hmm. but I think the the biggest fallback that Carnival faced with the the project was just how much it was going to cost. When they were building it, they had a set shipyard in Europe,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and at the time the Carnival was in its later design phases, the euro and the US dollar switch, switch positions, so the price of the pinnacle almost doubled what it would have cost, uh, a year ago or or per se. So it it all came down to money and, and really the decision to not build pinnacle pretty much came down to how long it was going to take to make their money back on this, uh, on the ship, especially for carnivals price. I mean, carnival, is a very low-end um, pricing structure, so they they charge a lot less than, say, Royal Caribbean would. So building this massive mega ship on the scale of Oasis, it would just take a lot more time for them to make back their investment with the prices that they uh, that they try to go for.
1: Yeah, because what you were saying in the video, it was like over a billion dollars for that pinnacle class ship, oh, and yeah, yeah, at the time they were paying like three hundred and fifty or four hundred million per ship. Mm-hmm, exactly so, um, yeah it's like three times the amount they were paying are, are you a cruise fan yourself i am yeah do you uh what's the biggest cruise ship you've been on biggest cruise ship i've been on <sighs> freedom of the seas okay so that's a pretty big one uh, it's a pretty big ship do you have any more cruise documentaries in the works uh i don't think i have anything in the works right now mm-hmm. later
0: on in the future i'd like to cover the fall of premier cruise lines i think that was an interesting topic that we yeah. kind of dabbled into in one of the episodes but uh I would definitely like to explore the idea a lot more.
1: If you have not seen this video, you have to watch this 11-minute documentary on the Carnival Pinnacle class project. This ship had all kind of crazy stuff on it like a mountain a monorail going around the whole ship, a lazy river. Like You have to watch this video to see what I'm talking about, and I'll link to it in the show notes at cruiseradio.net. We've been talking with Jake Williams over at Bright Sun Films about his latest documentary called Cancelled Carnival's Project Pinnacle. Jake, thanks for being on the show and taking a few minutes to talk with us tonight, bud. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me on.
2: Cruise Radio, maintaining our global reach. Listen live at cruiseradio.net.
1: From its rich heritage, picturesque beaches, and unparalleled blue waters, it's no wonder over 7 million people cruise to the Caribbean every year. What do you want to do? Swim with stingrays at Stingray Bay? Go for an island tour? Take a beach break? Or set sail on a catamaran to spend the day snorkeling? Want more Cruise Radio? Find a library of over 400 episodes on iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, or at cruiseradio.net. So Kay and her siblings just got back from a seven-night Western Mediterranean sailing aboard Norwegian Epic, and Kay joins me on the line. How's it going?
2: It's going great. Nice to talk to you, Doug. Yeah,
1: yeah. Good to talk to you again, as always. Um, So you're all the way out there in California, and this cruise was out of Barcelona, so... What made you want to take the the leap and sail this Western Mediterranean cruise?
2: Well, I went to Italy for the first time a couple of years ago, and just uh, thought I need to go back and see more and see more of Europe. So, and I'm getting a little tired of Caribbean, Caribbean, Caribbean. Mm-hmm. So, we I decided to book a Western Med. Okay. Initially, I was actually booked on the Freedom of the Seas, which is uh, the same date. But uh, when we, I had a couple more siblings join us. Um, the price had gone up to the point that we jumped ship over to Norwegian epic
1: did you get a pretty good rate for that one?
2: Yeah, we did, and you know with their inclusion of the the perks, we had a balcony cabin, so we had two perks that it, it makes it a really good deal,
1: yeah. I I was impressed how affordable it is to cruise in the Mediterranean. I'm going in a couple of weeks over to the Med, and I got a ridiculous rate for the cruise itself, like super cheap. So, uh, yeah, awesome. Anyway, so you get over to Barcelona. Did you spend any pre-cruise time over there?
2: Yeah, we stayed three nights pre-cruise. We rented a three-bedroom Airbnb, Mm -hmm. my first time using Airbnb, which it was a great experience. So we were able to, one day we took a tour to Montserrat, which is a monastery in the hills there, mm-hmm. and a Cava winery. Cava is the sparkling wine of Spain. And then another day we toured La Sagrada Familia and walked down Los Rambles. Uh Really enjoyed our time in Barcelona.
1: Cool. So it's time to embark Norwegian Epic. Uh, how was your embarkation process here? I mean, it's got a really gorgeous terminal over there.
2: And big, you know, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize how big the terminals are that. But we had reserved um, a private transfer with uh, the same company that picked us up at the airport, which made it really easy for us after being jet lagged. And so we got to the t- cruise terminal about 1030. It's a very short line to check in. And one of the things I really appreciated is they have a latitudes line. So even if you only cruise there one time, you can have a special line to check in. You're not in with everyone with the masses I guess I would say. And we were boarding number 2. We got on board in like a little over an hour wait and we were on board.
1: Cool. You make your way on board. What were your first impressions of Norwegian Epic?
2: You know, there's not grand atriums anymore, but my our, our first impression actually coming up to the ship from outside was, "Oh my goodness, this is the biggest ship we've ever been on." Mm-hmm. And then walking onto the ship and towards we ate lunch in the Taste Dining Room. We were amazed at how spacious the public area, the halls are in the public areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also really like the more contemporary decor. Yeah.
1: All righty. So you make your way to your stateroom. You mentioned that you booked a balcony stateroom. What did you think of the balcony on there?
2: The balcony itself was great. It was actually bigger than I anticipated. The room is kind of long and skinny, so it was very tight to get around the beds. And mm-hmm. another strange thing is even though the beds were made up as twins because I was sharing in a cabin with my two sisters there was literally only like an inch between the two twins so it is tight quarters however the storage is fantastic there's tons of storage all three of us had plenty of space to put our things around the other strange things I don't know if you've heard about the epic is the bathroom layout
1: mm-hmm. oh
2: yeah when you walk <laughs> you walk into the cabin, to one side is a cubicle with the toilet, on the other side is a cubicle with the shower, and then the sink's actually in the main stateroom. So it was unusual, and at times I had people, you know, you're drying off and people are, one of my sisters might have been trying to get in and uh, banging you, but otherwise it's fine.
1: If that water comes out too heavy, too, in that sink, you'll, you could splash someone laying in the bed right there, i have noticed.
2: <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, and my brother had a studio cabin. I did want to mention that, oh, cool. and he loved it.
1: Nice. Yeah, those are. Uh, those I are was perfect.
2: Really, I was jealous of his lounge because I would actually go and visit him so I could go to the lounge and have cookies and yep. use that awesome <laughs> coffee machine.
1: Yeah, it's a cool area down there for sure. So, how about dining? Did you um, did you pick a dining package as one of your perks?
2: No, but uh, we should have. <laughs> when I picked. Perks, tip, free tips was one of our perks. So we, we got that cause it was more valuable than the dining package, mm-hmm. but, um, we did end up eating especially dining three times. So we ate, let's see, our specialty dining was first the Cirque dreams dinner. So that shows fantastic. And, you know, even though people were saying, Oh, the meal's not that great. I thought it was pretty good. It was a surf and turf meal
1: mm-hmm.
2: and we found it very tasty and then followed by awesome entertainment. And then our second specialty venue we went to was Moderno, the Brazilian steakhouse. Mm-hmm. For all of us, this was our favorite specialty restaurant. And it was so good. And they kept bringing the meat until we finally said, you know, uncle. <laughs> and the grilled pineapple was the big hit there. And then lastly, we ate at Cagney's, the, the regular steakhouse. And my meal was good. But one of my sisters had a issue with her meat wasn't cooked properly our server was, wasn't was horrible, but it wasn't the best service we'd had. But I will say this about Norwegian. Every meal we ate in every dining venue, a maitre d' comes around, asks you, you know, how's it going? You mention anything, they immediately remedy it. So in this case, they actually came and, and uh, my sister didn't want to get a repeat because she didn't want to wait for me to get cooked to eat with the rest of us. So they just uh, counter the steak. Okay.
1: Now, on Norwegian Epic in the Mediterranean, is it a la carte or is it uh, just a cover charge?
2: If you don't get the package, it's a la carte. Okay. We paid a la carte at Cagney's. Mordano, I think, is always a a standard fee, Mm -hmm. but uh, Cagney's and Le Bistro were a la carte.
1: Gotcha. Okay. And uh, how about the buffet area? How was that for you?
2: This was the first cruise out of 22 that I've been on where I never ate a meal at the buffet. Wow. But I did get ice cream there. <laughs> so I, I had a look at everything. The buffet looked fantastic, both inside and out. You know, sometimes when I went to the pool, I'd look at the buffet, even though I already eaten lunch at Oceans or something. But the buffet had a lot of options. It wasn't ever too crowded when I walked by it. And one thing they do at night is they have crepes and where they change the type of crepe every night. Where we ate when we weren't at the specialty restaurants were either Case or Manhattan. Those are the two dining rooms or we ate at Oceans.
1: I was going to ask you about Oceans and what did, you, what did you think of it?
2: We loved it. My favorite thing there was the fajitas, but the rest of the group I think their favorite was the chicken wings. Mine too.
1: I'm a, I'm a chicken wing person at Oceans. <laughs> I love it, I'm not going to lie. Keep them coming. <laughs> Yeah, they're really uh, good there. And uh, how about like the main, the main dining room area? What do they call it? The Manhattan room? Did you dine there at all?
2: Yeah, we did eat there one night, and um, but then after that, my brother only wanted to wear shorts to dinner, so we were we were in the Taste dining room.
1: Okay, is that the the more casual one?
2: Yeah, that's a casual one where you could wear shorts. So okay. that's, that's where we ate most nights. Cool. What'd you think of the entertainment on board? I was blown away by the entertainment. I think this is one area that really NCO stands out. I went to Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and couldn't believe that I wasn't paying for that show. <laughs> you know? It was fantastic. And then we, I saw Burn the Floor, which was also excellent, but couldn't live up to Priscilla. They had the epic Beatles. They had unusual acts. They had this act in the um, one of the, it was like called the Headliners, where they would have comedians, but no comedians on the strip where they had these string musicians playing cello, violin, whatever. But they were hilarious. It was like a comedy performance. Cool. So it was really fun. Uh, It was interesting that there were no comedians, and I I didn't miss that. But I think it's because humor would be hard with people from so many different cultures.
1: Sure. Did you find there to be a mix of people on there?
2: Yeah. I mean, by far, I think 25% were Americans, 25% were Brits and then there were some, you know, the rest were from other countries.
1: Okay. Did you uh, take advantage of the box office whenever you first got on board to kind of sort your shows out, or did you do that before you got on the ship?
2: As soon as they opened up the reservations for shows and specialty dining, which was 90 days in advance, mm-hmm. um, I had booked what I could. But I ended up, there was other things that you could only book on board, and like the, um, oh, they had this new game, one of those escape room things. Yeah. And you, it's free, but you needed to book it on board. So I did that um, using the app, and which was great.
1: You downloaded the app before you cruised, and then you just kind of connected to the ship's network once you got on board.
2: Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's an important point. Download the app before you go. Yeah. So it was great to look up the schedules and then just book yourself for shows. Or even we even needed to book ourselves for the tender at our one tender part. So we did that on the app as well.
1: With the Mediterranean cruise being so port intensive, did you have any sea days on here?
2: We had one sea day, and it was the day after we boarded. So we weren't even tired yet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, usually you want that uh, sea day on the back end, right?
2: Yeah, it would have been way better to have it on the back end, actually.
1: How was that sea day for you as far as getting around the ship and crowds in the dining areas?
2: The dining areas were fine on that day. The pool, you know, one of the, the I would say the pool area is not the biggest, considering mm-hmm. how many people are on the ship. So the pools were pretty packed, so we didn't even try to find a, a lounge. I mean, you could get a lounger further away from the pool, but I kinda the whole point is I want to be by the pool and go in the pool. Exactly. So I didn't go to... Uh, that that day. But they had afternoon show. I went to a martini tasting. I went to trivia. They had something going on all the time in multiple venues.
1: Cool. So the ports of call you hit, do you know them off the top of your head to rattle through them for me?
2: Yes. Okay, we cool. We went to Naples, Savita mm-hmm. Vecchia, which is the Rome port, mm-hmm. Livorno, which is the Florence port, Cannes in France, and Palma de Mallorca, Spain.
1: Okay. And so what did you do in Rome?
2: In Rome, I had already been to Rome multiple times. So my siblings all took a tour to go see the highlights of Rome, right? You know, the Vatican, the Colosseum, and all that. I booked an NCL tour that went to two hilltop cities. The first one was called Tuscania, which was a nice old walled city, and we got to walk through there. We had about an hour there. But then after that, we went to Savita di Bagnoreggio. And sorry, my Italian pronunciation is bad. But this was, I sent you a picture of this, Doug. It was an yeah, amazing am- town on a hill. Yeah. And they say it's dying, but it's because the, the limestone is actually disintegrating. It's very hmm. soft limestone. So eventually that city will just be, you know, wiped off from being just blown away. But only a handful of people actually live there, because the only way to get there is across this bridge. It was my favorite thing I did the whole cruise.
1: What did you do in Naples?
2: Naples, I had been to Pompeii previously, and Capri, and other things. So this time, I went to Herculaneum. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a city that was just as devastated in terms of being buried by the ash and things from the Pompeii erupt, you know, the, the Vesuvius eruption. But it was much better preserved. And it was not busy at all. It was great. Loved it.
1: Cool. You know, I haven't been to Palma de Mallorca in years. Did you do anything there?
2: <laughs> I hate to admit it, but we were so tired by the time we got there. And we didn't get to <laughs> port 1 in the afternoon. We we stayed on board. And that's when I really got to enjoy the pool. Nice.
1: Yeah. I really don't know what there is to do there. I mean, I, of course, I'm sure there's some beautiful things to do like like caves and the castles or the old forts there, but I've always just gotten off the ship and kind of walked around the city and maybe got some tapas and wine and came right back to the ship myself there. But um yeah, being at the end of the cruise because on my Med sailing it was at the end too and I was like, "You know what? We've been going 4 or 5 days in a row. Do I really feel like walking, you know, another 10 miles?"
2: Exactly. So it was just too much. Cause yeah. we, the, the day before, we'd been in Cannes, and I was at yeah. Tenderport, and we went to three stops on that tour. We went to Nice and Ez and, and um, we we couldn't go to Monaco because the Grand Prix was going on that week. Mm-hmm. So instead, we went to a town called St. Paul de Vence. Cool. And so we had had a full day. So when we got to Palma, we were just like, uh, let's just stay on board.
1: So you're all rested up and you get back to Barcelona. How was that debark process for you?
2: Well, I have to say I love the way they handled it. So they leave a sheet in their cabin the day before explaining the different color options of tags and what time they correspond to. And then you decide which ones you need based on your plans and go to guest services and they have them all out. You don't have to talk to anyone. They're just laying out. And you pick the, the color that meets your plan. So that was great. And then getting off, because people are getting off as they're, you know, based on your plans, you know, there's not this mad rush. It was pretty easy, and they had great carousel uh, carousels in the terminal where your bags are going around. <laughs> mm. And so we found our luggage and, and got off quickly. I have to say it was uh, pretty painless for disembarkation.
1: Just curious, did you do a taxi to the airport, or did you do the transfer through Norwegian?
2: We actually had set up a private transfer already, so that was our only snafu. The driver was a little late, uh, but that was um, his fault, not because of anything the ship report did.
1: Just curious, what did you pay for that private transfer? Because I've I've been looking and researching, and I've noticed that the flat rate taxi from the pier to the airport is €39, and the Norwegian shuttle is €30 per person.
2: Yeah, with four of us, we didn't, you know, we thought that we wouldn't fit in a standard taxi with all our luggage and everything. So that's why we did a private transfer. I think Mm -hmm. it was about forty-five euros. It was a little bit more. That's not bad, though. No, no, No.
1: not at all. Very cool. Uh, Well, do you have any tips for people sailing Norwegian Epic?
2: So my first tip would be buy your dining package, your bottles of wine, your beverage package. If those aren't the perks you pick through the cruise planner in advance when selling on any cruise line in Europe because there's a 22% VAT charge if you wait till you get on the ship and buy it.
1: Interesting. So, and okay. yeah,
2: and I wish you know, every drink I ordered. <laughs> 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 and then a second tip is to book your shows and specialty dining when they become available in the planner 90 days before you're selling. And that way, you know, you're not being stuck with 8.30 p.m. dining time if, if you want to eat at 6 p.m.
1: Okay. All great things to know. Looking back over this Mediterranean cruise experience you did with your siblings, what was the biggest highlight for you?
2: Well, spending vacation time with my sisters and brother, you know, we're, we're uh, middle-aged, I guess you would say. It, that was fantastic. But other than that, I, I would say that I had a meal at a restaurant in that hilltop town i talked to you about and sitting outside drinking wine eating their specialty which was a bore <laughs> okay. and a perfect salad it was one of those moments you just want to bottle up so you can relive it over and over again so that it, that's the reason we travel i think
1: yeah that's so awesome such a great story too well kaylin in closing what are your final thoughts of norwegian epic
2: I was very hesitant to take the Epic and Norwegian again because it's been about 10 years since we last Norwegian sailing. But after this experience, I would not hesitate to sell Norwegian again, but also this ship, actually. But I would just do it with only two people in the cabin. The ship is beautiful. The service was fantastic. And um, I didn't even get to do everything, so I have to go back because I have missed the ice bar.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's what you got to go back then. There's no, there's no excuse. You got to do it you got to test it out. I know. Well, uh, your website, com. you have been uploading and uh, you've recapped this cruise experience on there. So if you want to um, check that out and see these photos, they're pretty amazing. Check out com. I'll also link to it in the show notes over at cruiseradio.net. Caitlin, as always, it's great talking to you. Uh, welcome home and thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Dan. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance?